to the Ed Spector Podcast with Jared and Jared. Today's big question is, should states have standardized testing this year? I'm pretty sure I know what students think. I think students would <laughs> check no on that box. Yeah, it's going to be a real short uh, podcast if students <laughs> uh, have any influence here. Um, Again, just the purpose of the Ed Spector podcast, uh, Jared and I wanted to be able to explore some of these big, you know, burning questions that roll through our field of education. And, uh, you know, the type of thing where you see an article once in a while that makes you ponder uh, ponder the question deep into the night. So uh, we're, we're not going to ponder uh, too long into the night. We're going to try to keep this to 15, 20 minutes, something that matches, uh, you know, your commute or wait in the Starbucks line each morning. So uh, you'll have an opportunity to interact with us on social media. If you want to register your opinion on our big question each week, uh, Jared, why don't you tell folks where they can reach us at? Well, first, make sure you download our podcast and subscribe to it. And after you do that, you can find us on Twitter at EdspectivePod or our personal accounts at Jared Bigham or at Jared Miracle. If you follow me, you'll get a lot of pictures of the Bigham Pandemic Homeschool and tweets about that. If you follow Miracle, you'll get a lot of pictures of his Jeep. (laughs) Yeah, hashtag priorities. Um, So again, our big question today, should we have standardized tests this year? you know, I, again, I don't think most students would be too upset if we didn't have state tests across the country. But, you know, it, it kind of got me thinking about something that we actually do miss uh, from our day to day lives because of the, the COVID-19 quarantine. Uh, Jared, what's something that's, you know, been interrupted, I guess, in your schedule or maybe something you're missing about life, you know, pre-pandemic? Uh, well, I, I actually worked quite a bit from home pre pandemic. So sure. Uh, I didn't have a big transition like some people did into a home office. My transition is having a homeschool at my home office <laughs> at the same time that I was, I'm used to having an empty home and just taking my laptop to any room where I decide to work that day. And, right. uh, that has been, uh, seriously interrupted by the big, um, homeschool academy uh corona academy that what's your uh you're you're kind of pushing the limit on student to teacher ratio aren't you (laughs) yeah with my as many kids you know i've got five kids so um i think there's definitely i could file a grievance with the local (laughs) union on how many students i have to teach yeah um, what about you what does what's something you miss or is being interrupted yeah i don't know um you know there's a lot of serious things going on but i think just a sense of normalcy maybe you know i I think it's gotten so strange to go out in public and to avoid people you know what i'm saying like that or that's become so normal i guess it's strange how normal that's become uh just walking around people and yeah i see these things on social media where you know people are like wearing hula hoops around their waist when they go out into public to keep people from (laughs) getting too close and you know i guess whatever it takes to to make you feel comfortable and social distance so and you go out and you see it's like a a, a clan of ninjas has descended upon the target or right you know <laughs> for those that do subscribe to mask wearing 
Yeah, it's just, it's very strange how quickly some of these things have become normal. And, you know, obviously social distancing and wearing masks are all for, for a good purpose to try to slow the spread of this thing down. But yeah, if you told me, you know, how normal it would feel to throw on my mask and run into Kroger uh, while avoiding everyone and talking to no one, I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> know what to think about that definitely so. surreal times right what what is uh has been normal in most states every year is the standardized testing window in the spring yes and so as we tackle that issue today uh i, I read an ed week article published a week or so ago uh that really defined the two camps that are out there and okay. obviously you have one camp that you know, hell or high water, we need to be testing kids. It doesn't matter if we have to mask them up and, and put hazmat suits on them. We need to do those tests and not just our state testing, but we've also got our NAEP testing, which is the National Assessment of Education Progress. And that's the basis for our nation's report card. And that's really uh, the litmus test for how we're doing as a nation sure. in some of those benchmark areas that we look at in literacy and math. Um, but for teachers and schools, the big issue here is whether or not there will be accountability uh, if their state has an accountability model around testing, which most states now do have that. Sure. And uh, also with the students, you know, it, we were joking about students wouldn't mind not having testing this year, but with some states like Tennessee, where we live, mm -hmm. those end of course tests actually factor in uh, somewhat into the overall grade right. and it can be a help to students. So, uh, I guess first, let's look at the arguments for testing that are out there. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, there's there's a spectrum, and I think there's there's obviously two ends of that spectrum, and there's lots of people along the way in the middle. You know, I think you can be, you know, in support of assessment without being, you know, anti-teacher or anti, you know, health concerns. Obviously, that's a possibility. You can also being the camp that wants to delay assessment or not have assessment, but also be a person who really appreciates accountability and, and how to measure things. So pretty complicated question. That's why we're, we're trying to sort of unpack this a little bit today. So when you talk about arguments for testing, Jared, I think, you know, both of us have been administrative roles at the most basic level. You want to have current data on your students. And we've both been teachers and administrators and and having a gap in your data on, on where your kids are is a pretty mm. big deal. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, you know, common sense argument that collecting data this year is just part of that process of connecting the dots from one year to the next, you know, how did I right. perform from third grade to fourth grade, fourth grade to fifth grade. So well, you know, that, and even I know some of the arguments for testing, it's not even about collecting data on what's learned. I know some proponents, especially on the NAEP uh, governing board, are worried about assessing the learning that was potentially lost during this school, this past spring and this upcoming school year. Sure. So uh, it's, I guess it's, there's two ways you can look at that. Yeah, we, we can see what students have learned and are they on grade level, but also I think we would all acknowledge there's going to be somewhat of a 
Corona slide, you know, we've got summer slide, summer melt, some people call it. And mm -hmm. without a doubt, I think there's going to be some of that factored in this past year and this coming year. Cause we've, uh, we talked about that in a previous episode about just all the moving parts and the online platforms and the different instructional models that are going to impact learning. So, um, from, I guess, the negative standpoint, it's seeing how big that gap actually is. And that's what, why some people want to go ahead and move forward with state testing and our national uh, assessments. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the arguments for testing, whether you're talking about a local level, a state level, or a national level, you're measuring progress. But like you said, you're also maybe measuring a, a lack of progress because of a, a variety of factors. But I think, you know, where you get into some of the concerns is accountability that comes into play, like you mentioned, for a variety of factors that are out of the control of teachers and principals and district office staff that are going to be trying really hard to do something this year that they've never done before. So I guess let's dive into some of the arguments on the other side against testing uh, this year. Yeah. And some of them are, are pretty blatantly obvious because sure. it's, it's the unknowns that are out there. You know, right. how much instruction will students receive in person? How much will they receive in a virtual platform that's actually of quality? Right. Uh, even though we've had a summer to prepare for this, I think teachers are still there. There wasn't uh, a lot of time for in-depth professional development on how to be an, uh, a virtual instructor, Absolutely. especially in, in lower elementary grade levels. So uh, well, those all those unknown variables, I think, are one of the most prominent arguments against testing. Like, how valid would the data actually be since you've got so many moving parts and then sure. uh the equity issues i know you you were talking about that the other day right. um so what when you think about equity it's not it's not just around socioeconomics it's about the actual connectivities I, yeah i mean like if you if you choose to send your child to school and they're receiving face-to-face -face instruction, but another parent doesn't feel safe, and that's a valid way to feel, and they opt for virtual instruction at home, number one, like, how level is that playing field in a best-case scenario of, you know, functioning internet with a good device? Then when you throw in the fact that there are going to be a ton of families that don't have high-speed internet service accessible at home, then there's no way that, that that's equitable between those students and those families and a family that does have high-speed internet access. And then another scenario where you have students actually receiving face-to-face -face instruction. So there's just a mountain of equity issues uh, amongst various students when you think about what instruction is going to look like this year and then how that would factor into a, a state assessment. Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially in our, you know, middle income, upper middle income families um, that take internet for granted, take high speed internet and access for granted, along oh, with yeah. having multiple devices in a home. I mean, my kids, freak out if they can't get Wi-Fi down by the creek, you know, it's a hundred <laughs> yards away 
or the the night you know a couple of my kids wanted to camp out in the hay field which was a few hundred yards away and i see this uh, from our house i see this glow in the middle of the night when i went on the porch to check on them and i'm like that's not a flashlight that is a device i can tell you know so i sure enough i went out there and they had their ipads watching a movie they were streaming netflix in the tents, you know, right. because we had a booster and all these other Wi-Fi things. So I think for a lot of families that take not only internet access for granted, but just having multiple devices in a home, there's some definite inequities right there that sure. uh, are built in. And so in, in a lot of our tests already measure income different uh, differentials and so do we really want to spend millions and millions of dollars measuring outcomes this year when we can't, we can't account for these factors of yeah. some homes not having a device or multiple devices? And, uh, and I, I saw a survey of one district where they were trying to assess the connectivity of their families. And when they first did the survey, um, uh, and, and actually, I, I think Chris was the one that was sharing this with me, um, two or three weeks ago that over 80% of the families were like, Oh yeah, we got connectivity. We've got a device until they started drilling down into this. And well, it was actually a cell phone that the parents had that, that had a data plan, which isn't, you know, right. Yeah. It's not going to be fast enough yeah. <laughs> for virtual learning. Yeah. I mean, if you think about a, a, just a typical year when students have spent the entire year in a classroom shoulder to shoulder and they sit down to take a reading test, that reading test is already going to catch a lot of socioeconomic, you know, variables. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be shocking to you. And listen to this, students that come from uh, homes with a higher socioeconomic status tend to perform better on reading tests. I mean, just from an early, from an early age, uh, that's, that's been borne out by numerous studies. Now, when you, factor in that they're not going to be sitting shoulder to shoulder. They're going to be sitting in their homes and some are going to have better internet access and bigger computer screens and faster internet service. And, you know, it just exacerbates, I think, an issue that's already there. So I can definitely see, um, you know, where this is going to be an issue and something to be concerned about if this type of data is collected. Um, I'm wondering, Jared, like, are there any reports or studies on, safety or health issues involved if students are taking paper-based tests like can the virus be transmitted via documents or pencils that are passed around i mean that's like a basic thing that i'm you know just sitting here thinking about yeah and I, that's a great point because um if you try to social distance and and only have a certain number of students in a classroom so you can get through these uh, assessments in a safe way based on the guidelines. I mean, you may be looking at a three or four week testing window just so you can right. uh, do it based on CDC recommendations and guidelines. And um, so, yeah, you're, you're, that's a, another issue that which we're already having to weigh some of the lesser of the evils just when it comes to our core instruction, much less do we amp that up at the end of the year so that we can get a diagnostic on what we did or did not learn yeah. you know, through that academic year. Well, you know, the bottom line, I think that we think about for the arguments for and against 
having a, a standardized assessment this year from a from a state or even a national level. I guess the the question is, is it fair to have educators thinking about a test when there's so many other concerns over, overtaking school this year, in addition to all the normal concerns of running schools, uh, you know, just on a day to day basis and should this just be a year when we try to educate kids as safely and as effectively as possible and measure that in ways that make sense at a local level? I mean, we, we hope this is a short-term thing. We hope that, uh, you know, a vaccine is going to break through pretty soon and that gets distributed and we, we sort of recapture some sense of normalcy. And then do we get back into our you know normal ebb and flow after that? Yeah. And I think one quote that I read from that Ed Week article that really captures this debate, and it was from one of the uh, members of the NAEP governing, governing board, Dana Boyd, who's a principal. And uh, she said, I have a teacher in the hospital right now who's fighting for her life from COVID-19. Before this hit home, I would have said, yes, let's do it. But now this is bigger than data. And so when you've got somebody on the NAEP board that has that perspective that hits home, I think that's really when people start to get a, a clear view on all these different questions and moving parts. If they know someone that's close to them that comes down with uh, COVID-19, that really changes their perspective. So, yeah. Uh, I, and I've, I've been waiting on you to drop a little pearl of wisdom that I heard you mention, um, I don't know, it's almost a month ago, really, when we were just talking uh, casually about this, uh, about having assessments next year. And you said something to the effect of maybe not having state assessments, but, but having those grade level benchmarks that we do at a local level. Yeah. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you sure. can you can – say it how you said well, it, was, it was when you have one of those rare moments i want to make sure we highlight it <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah i guess when we talk about what we actually think about this you know if i were if i were sitting in a driver's seat you know of a state agency making this decision you know i just think there's a way we can leverage the items that are already developed it takes a lot of time and money to develop you know, state assessments, a uh, lot of time and money and a lot of, you know, hard work from people at state departments of education in cooperation with lots of vendors to develop all these items and get feedback on the items, so on and so forth. So that's been done. Is there is there a way to take some of those items that are, you know, on the verge of being phased out? Because a lot of these test questions have a shelf life. They're not used eternally, you know, they're cycled through a few years at a time and then they're retired. So is there a way to even, you know, retire some of those items a little bit early, put them in the hands of district testing coordinators in a secure fashion so that, you know, everyone doesn't have access to them and then let the districts decide what makes sense in terms of assessment. If they want to give, you know, many assessments throughout the year, benchmarks throughout the year so that they're tracking progress. Uh, let the teachers have some say in what that looks like. Let the principal, you know, they're going to know how many kids are coming in person, how many 
are accessing things virtually. And so they're going to be able to, I think, have a better take on the timing of that and what that looks like and the, the best way to use those assessment items to get information that, that they can use while still juggling all these other things that are going to be on their plate this year without worrying about that big scary test at the end of the year that takes up so much, you know, headspace as you sort of turn the corner around spring break and see that big state test on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a, that's a great perspective. I think the only thing I would add to that, cause I agree with you is I think some States that might be tied into contracts with their vendors, if we're already, you know, if, if a state is committed and, it's going to be an issue where they're just either going to lose the money or there's not some way to, to navigate that where they might be able to repurpose that funding. Then, you know, I, you might do it with a subset of students, just like Nate, where you're just pulling a certain group and it would be more anecdotal curiosity than a hard data set for me. Sure. Um, I don't think we're, the data is really going to matter until we have what we would consider quote unquote normal school again for an extended period of time. So yeah, uh, beyond those data, those, those vendor issues and the, those contractual issues, you know, I, I say repurpose those funds if we can, because yeah. all that really will do will satisfy people's curiosity. And for some people be able to say, look, I told you so there's a big slide or, right. Oh no, this online platform was awesome. And which sure. I, I, I don't, don't really see that especially in elementary grades happening so yeah i think the question you're trying to answer is how do we get enough information on what our students were able to do this year to set ourselves up for the 21 22 school year i mean i think that's probably our best case scenario can you get enough information on the ground you've gained or lost this year to set yourself up for what's hopefully a much more normal start to the 21 22 school year yeah, you're right. That's great. That's a great way to put it. I'm not, I'm going to stop there because I don't want to sully the conversation <laughs> with anything that, that might take away from that, that closing statement. So that was awesome. Yep. Uh, well, next episode, we're going to tackle the big question of should retention be an option for students during the 2021 school year? And I know that there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of controversy. Yeah, there's definitely two camps and two uh, different sets of thinking on that. So it should be interesting as we uh, discuss retention as an option for the 2021 school year. So thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.